0: Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Krishna Kurapati. He's the founder and CEO of ClickSoft. Krishna, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Nick. Uh, glad to be here. Love to share some ideas, thoughts. So, um, if you would, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. It's not uh, traditional in terms of healthcare. You've come at it from a slightly different perspective. Tell us about your journey and how you ended up here. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I'm in a
1: technologist, an entrepreneur. Um, I've been a technology entrepreneur for over 25 years. Uh, the, the early on startups are more on communication when the whole industry was looking at voice over IP as a means of cutting out calling cards and using the internet as a means of phone calls. So we got in that space and early on, we built products in that space before Skype ever was a voice over IP platform and we uh, exited that company. And then I started another company in security, network security space, application security, that brought me into understanding uh, the issue with spamming and intrusions and all those things. So basically I've been at technology, finding gaps in the needs uh, of the market or and then bridging those gaps with uh, solutions uh, appre- uh, appropriately. So when uh, 2009 and eight came, uh, I was looking at uh, healthcare more closely because of my uh, diaspora, the way I belong, and I love a lot of physician friends and talking to them about the challenges that they have, um, and then that got me interested in looking more deeper into the challenges. And at the time, you know, people were started adopting smartphones, uh, physician adoption went through the roof, and 95% of the physicians have smartphones but they still use pagers, faxes and such to communicate. So what, what's wrong with it? So why can we have a texting app, but then the challenge is it has to be secure HIPAA compliant. So that's the origins of Qlik software. We're looking at the messaging as a means of securely communicating bi-directional between provider to provider with a read receipt, acknowledgement, all the capabilities that make the uh, collaboration much more uh, real time, but asynchronous at the same time, because I'm not holding on my phone, may, trying to call, talk to you. I just send you a message and wait. we all benefit from using texting on the consumer space. Why can the physicians and nurses do the same? That's the origins of Quicksoft.
0: You, you know, it's interesting. You, you talk about that and I, I'm casting my mind back. And I, I think everybody listening needs to sort of take a step and go, well, step back to that period of, of history, 2008, and you're right, we were seeing, you know, the wide adoption of phones. I think the iPhone w- was one of the big jumps in terms of uh, adoption. And I, it was in large part due to its facile nature, everybody could adopt it. I remember the first one, you know, really quick but we still had pages. I remember people clinging to them. In fact, you know, that the, the uh, they needed to be reliable. I'm I'm sure there's probably some still around in radiology departments where they say the signal won't reach downstairs <laughs> and you know, That's so scary. forth. But here you are, you're at that point, that nexus. And you realized that there was a need for this, but it wasn't being serviced. We we had these devices. So how did you go about addressing that? Because it, it's hard to imagine at this point because it is more native, I think more natural and people go, yes, but I imagine there was a lot of resistance at that point. What was your experiences? Oh
1: yeah, certainly. I think that was the you know, biggest first few years of learning and the healthcare, the pace of healthcare, how it moves coming from the technology background, enterprise application background, coming into healthcare, it was, a, it was an eye-opener for me to know how resistant, how conservative it is for a good reason. But then, you know, even though it's a good idea, good product, will help them, it takes months, years for them to come to terms. It's many reasons. Uh, resistance to... You know the way they prioritize uh, everything else, or over uh, new change management. This could this doesn't require a lot of change management because uh, the texting they already physicians nurses do uh, texting already. They just have to transition from regular texting to secure texting. Which when we that so that journey uh, of understanding. Okay, how would we make physicians adapt faster, our goal was to make it as easy as it is to use a regular texting. And that was look and feel wise. So we did a lot of iterations on uh, UI user experience uh, to make sure that it fits so the physician can get on get, get using in minutes, not days and now there's no official training required so they can just download and use it day one and it feels and smells like regular text message. So, so that, that was like four, two, three years of real going back and forth and adapting our technology to use case. So then once, you know, once, they, once the market also realized that, you know, they can't keep using the pagers uh, they, and the, the cost of pagers, but also uh, it's not two-way communication and they, they want more two-way communication
0: without relying on a call center and such. So they started coming our way. So as I think back to that time, and, you know, certainly some of the resistance I I remember hearing was, uh, you know, we can't move to texting, it's not secure. And and just for clarity's sake, I I don't know if you know this, but the, the pager system was an entirely public, open text, no encryption, no... Uh, concealment of any information you literally just had to put up an aerial and you could receive every text message that was going so to be (laughs) clear that wasn't secure but suddenly everybody became it's got to be secure and so forth (laughs) how do you go about adapting and creating something because we're all used to it I think you know everybody I don't want to say loves it but it's certainly a, a a very easy form of communication works quickly, people have adopted it it's worldwide, but that secure issue and also integration into the existing workflow is critical because if you've got things going on outside uh, of the general sort of information flow, then you know there's risks associated with that, with loss of information. How did you go about approaching that? Yeah, it's mainly educating. Uh,
1: I think uh, you, know, the, you have two set of uh, cohorts that you need to address. One is clinicians, and the and then the IT people in the healthcare organisations. Obviously, uh, the physicians don't care if it's secure or not. They want to just get something done uh, pretty quickly. Steady
0: on now, study on. We're we're not quite that dismissive, but okay. <laughs> but to some extent, I mean, I think they
1: they do care, but they you know as long as they know that it is you can say HIPAA compliant, they're okay. But then the IT people want to know, make sure that it is truly secure. And that's when my previous security background came in handy to build a solution that is truly end-to-end encrypted capability. And every time we went and educated the healthcare organizations, IT teams, they were quite impressed with our technology and our uh, the ability to make it most secure Uh, messaging solution, and they kind of quickly came around and uh, started endorsing our solution. And then the clinicians on the other hand would love to see, they, I mean, you don't believe it. They're more impressed by read receipt. Okay, somebody, if I send you a message, you know, now everybody takes for granted for the two check marks, one check mark for delivery, another check mark for you read it. Back then it was not there. So you send a message, Boom, you know, no, no, you, I don't know whether you received it unless you respond to me. But we have the read receipt double check marks in 2010, 11, each time frame. And then everybody, that's the physician says, oh, well, now I know that my nurse has read. And the nurse would say, wow, I know that my physician has read my message. And we went far, one, for one step forward in the workflow to add uh, ability for acknowledgement, uh, request acknowledgement. So not only that you read it, but you also explicitly say, okay, I got it. So that means I understood what you just said, or I understand I will take care of it. So that's the next level of validation would be really valuable. For example, if you're sending a group message, so you send to 10 people in a clinical team, and five of them acknowledged it means they really understood the task and then they're ready to do it. And then five did not, then you don't know what, what, what's happening with them. So, so it enhances their workflow because they just fire and forget, but they just see what's happened to it, right? Because instead of that, previously when you send a page, unless that person calls you back, you don't know what's happened to that. Message. It's just like putting something in a mailbox and hoping it, get, it gets their other end. But here you have a two-way communication in a way going on. Now we can send emojis back and forth, all this stuff. That's additional enhancement to express your uh, likeness or unlikeness of the message. But back in there, read receipt was the critical feature of the solution.
0: You know, it's interesting you bring up that read receipt. And, uh, you know, we we tend to take technologies that advances for granted, once it's been embedded. And I'm not sure what the time frame is. I want to say it's a relatively short time frame that we accept that. But you know, that read receipt, I think, I- important in terms of understanding that somebody re- received the message. Uh, this additional step of acknowledgement, I think, again important. And you, you bring up another aspect to this that, you know, historically, when that was in a pager the only way that you could do or acknowledge would have been to call. It was a a whole separate channel. Now you've got an existing channel where you can communicate. So you've developed and and built on this platform and obviously it it provides real utility, but now we've got the potential to apply more technology and to automate. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so
1: I think the, the question next begs to you know, you've been sending. You, you, we already know the bots and all those uh, in Slack channels and all those places that we use to automate some uh, workflows. So, what if we could use the bots and automation tools to automate some of the uh, processes or workflows that are uh, used in engagement? What are we doing? Okay, so if you if you see in a clinic, what are they doing? They're calling somebody they're receiving faxes, they're receiving some emails, they're sending some text messages. They're also doing, what are they doing for? Okay, referral, intake, insurance update, all the mundane tasks, collecting payments. So, uh, consent forms, okay, I want to get a consent form from you. So you come into the off waiting room, you sit down and then sign a paper and give it to me and I'll take that scanned paper and then scan it and then put it into my email that I got the uh, consent from the patient. So if you walk through each of those workflow, it starts with communication always. So if you start with a communication or a point of contact for communication, now, if we can take that communication point of contact, take that information, automate it, so that when a patient receives a consent request and when the patient submits from a smartphone, because you know in 19, uh, 2009, 10, it was physicians adopting 100% uh, uh, iPhones. Come 2015, 16, it's 95% of consumers as adopted smartphones you hardly see flip phones. Even people with homeless people have adopted iPhones, smartphones, because that's the only way they can connect to the world. They don't have computers. So if you think of that, we all have computers, but you know a lot of people at low income level don't have computers. They, the smartphone is the computer for them. So it's much more cost effective for them to own a smartphone than in a computer and a smartphone or a flip phone. So they adopted that technology much faster. So now it becomes a democratized way of communicating with the patients using a text secure messaging because everything has to be compliant, but also enable some automation so that you don't... So let's say, you, know, you send a message to a patient in the middle of the night and our patient wants to reach you in the middle of the night. If you don't have automation, you probably will have a big call center of people waiting to receive those messages, which some people do that, but it doesn't scale. So the ability to automate the communication processes back and forth between patient and provider is critical to open up. So, you know, open up the communication to the patients itself, because a lot of people are afraid of opening communication to the patients because they don't know what to do with it. If they come in, uh, they they reach out to us, what do I do? How do I uh, take care of them? Uh, So... So that's the crux of 2015-16. If you look at six, seven years from 2010, the shift changed from only providers to the patients having these smartphones, and the ability to reach those patients also is, is valuable to the providers using text messaging and secure messaging.
0: So for those of you just joining I'm Dr Nick the incrementalist today I'm talking to Krishna Kurupati he's the founder and CEO of Clicksoft we were just talking about the automation and um you, you know the the opportunity to remove some of the the tasks and activities that you know essentially grind people down um as a result of sort of the repetitive nature uh, we've become accustomed to this outside of healthcare. And, you know, I think of restaurants as an example where, good Lord, I get a a text notification, uh, you know, maybe three hours before, sometimes an hour before, you know, hey, just confirming, um, you you know, the capacity for me to reply to that. So within that uh, domain, um, and I'm pretty sure that there is nobody in the restaurant that's going, oh gosh, I see Nick is coming into the restaurant. We should send him a text message and remind him. That is pure automation. You're now bringing that in. And I think in the context of, The pandemic. We've seen this huge burnout. Um, You know, I just read a report recently that talked about, you know, how to retain staff. And one of the key elements to retaining staff, both the ones that are trying, you know, looking to resign and those that are, uh, you know, in place or even recruit, is to remove the drudgery and create some automation in there that allows for all of these, what I would call scut tasks to be just done. I shouldn't even have to think about it. So that's where I think you're heading. Tell us how you go about that and what the sort of process, because it it sounds simple in a restaurant, but is it as simple in the healthcare setting? Yeah, I think
1: to your point, the drudgery of the staff, and that's the big uh, uh, attrition, reason for attrition. They're doing all, the nurse is practicing at the level of clerk and clerk is practicing at the level of data entry. So you want you want to give them the career growth. Um, that's what they are in for. Uh, they want to become an MA or somebody like that. So giving them the opportunity to do that means taking out all the manual work from them. And it's not easy though uh, in healthcare because you know in a, there is there's a integration involved in the EMR and other uh, solutions that you already have and the workflows that you're set in. So when uh, this is back before COVID, uh, I started this journey in 2017-18 uh, to look at this problem from ground up. What is required for us to really scale things up in healthcare is obviously one integration. Integration at a integration when you say it's 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 a two levels. It's challenging. One is the the cost of integration. Uh, EMRs are very expensive. How do you Make sure that you keep the cost low for integrations. Then the other one is uh, the time it takes to integrate uh, is another ch- challenge. So that's a step one problem. The other problem is the, the kind of workflows are different in different settings. So primary care physicians are different from a pediatric. You know, Pediatric are talking to pa- uh, parents, not p- uh, patients. So you need to allow those variance, variances. Restaurants, you you have one kind of uh, goal, but here you have whole set set of uh, different uh, micro verticals. I would say in healthcare, if you want to build a platform uh, that can serve all of them, you got to think through all different workflows and make it flexible. The analogy that you, I used is uh, Lego builders. So if you can build Legos in such a way that you know you could. Create the architecture, Lego architecture, but you know, also you build some tools, uh, some kits. So you could kit a pediatric kit, you could create an internist kit, or hospitalist kit, or cardiology kit. But then, if you got another physician group, they can take these existing kits and then build their own kits. Or we can just give, build from scratch to their, their needs without just building a pipe that only serves them.
0: Yeah, so I, I I think, you know, tremendous opportunity. One of the first places that I, I think we all, at least I know I would, in, in my intersection with healthcare as a patient, not as a clinician, and maybe as a clinician, well, actually, I'm sure as a clinician as well, is, is self-scheduling. Why is it that I'm still required to pick up the phone and go through a process, I can't see appointments, and and then, you know, I get actual calls from people saying, no, we can't do this. How do we go about this? What's been the barrier to this? Yeah, I
1: think the self-scheduling is by far, scheduling by far is the most complex one. Uh, The reason it is, is that, you know, if you're, this is why the user UI, so, again uh, this is the fundamental uh, uh thought process or, or axioms or concepts is here I believe in conversational based user experience uh because I'm biased I come from that world and I believe in it for a good reason uh why I say that if you if you're a patient and you're clicking through, through the buttons let's say you know I'm you, are, you want to do self-scheduling, okay? I, I'm a physician, you're a patient, and you want to be scheduled, you want yourself to be squeezed in for a time that's most available so that you, know, you have some impending reason why you want to come and see me sooner than later. Uh, but I don't have slots available now, okay? Uh, to give you that. What do I do? Okay, I just can email you back and forth, or I can call you and be on the call and with talking some front desk front office person, or I can engage with you on a secure message model where I would be able to, you know, a lot of it is automated. 80% of the time it is straightforward. Okay. 80% of the patients, they want to have a schedule. It's not like emergency visit or urgent visit. They just want to have somebody to take care of me in month. Even if it's a month out, it's fine. But 20% of the patients want something squeezed in. So how do the, how do you deal with it? So instead of dealing that 80-20, we just cannot deal with this 20%. So we just have these uh, calls. So we, we go, go to the least common denominator model. What I see is how can we use the automation in secure messaging with chatbots and other automation tools, so that those people who can get 80%, they can go through the process and get it without human intervention. But those people who need that squeezed in approach, they can talk to somebody in the human-in-the-loop model, and they can talk to somebody asynchronously, explain their reasons and concerns, and put them into the wait list so that they can get on to the next available time slot. And without them calling back again, they could send a text message back when the slot is available for them to come in. Could be could be today, tomorrow, whatever. So that's how I see why the self-scheduling, if you just give them a user experience, user, user interface for them to schedule, then you don't have a communication path. My view is we have to give communication path between back and forth between uh, the scheduler and the patient, but also give some automation along the way so that the, the person on the other hand is not overwhelmed by number of calls or messages from the patients.
0: So I, interesting, you know, number one, that scheduling is such a complex area, but I guess anybody that's tried to organize a meeting with more than two people uh, online in business, let alone in healthcare, knows and understands that that's a challenge. And, and I think the incremental step is to, to take the low hanging fruit and fix that with you know simplicity and automation and then have a pathway uh, that allows for um, a, a fallout to a separate process that perhaps includes the manual so that your um, cases of manual intervention are much reduced and they're the ones that need the oversight and the intelligence of uh, humans uh, to be able to contribute yes. and sometimes even the physician. Um, unfortunately, as we do each and every week, uh, we, we've run out of time. I think a fascinating areas some tremendous opportunity just remains for me to thank you Uh, for joining me on the show Krishna thanks for joining me
1: yeah uh, thanks Nick for giving me opportunity Uh, I think this is an interesting call I have to pull some of the ideas from deep in my cerebellum to bring to you Uh, this is a a wonderful conversation Uh, you asked me some good questions
0: thanks for joining me today do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at drnick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, The Incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution.